This is the ministry from Sovereign Grace Reformed Church in Tiverton, Devon, United Kingdom. Well, once again we're in the church family, we continue with our Bible study series in the life of Joseph. We're now on the 16th study in the series. Last time we saw how God had instructed Jacob to go down into Egypt. And we remember the many misgivings that Jacob had, didn't he, on that instruction. What? Down into Egypt? Again, he had already spent 20, 20 plus years with Hadamaran, away from uh, God's covenant of promises, uh, of being in the land of promise. And now again, God has sent him in a completely different direction, into Egypt. So it's fair to say that Last time, he had, in our study previously, he had many misgivings, anxieties, fears about the future. He was very happy to see Joseph, because Joseph yet lives, but God was still taking him and his future into a different direction. But we saw how God relieved all his hesitations by those four wonderful promises for the future. And we were also reminded that our will is at times not necessarily God's will. Sometimes God takes us in a completely different direction for our lives. Uh, things that often we would not choose. We would not choose to go in, down into Egypt, as it were. But we were told last time, weren't we, but there, there in Egypt, that uh, God would be with him. And there he would, God would make him fruitful and bless him, bless him. Yes, there in Egypt. And of course, we apply this to ourselves, that if God so desires us to uh, completely go in a direction which we, before we, we, we didn't think about, well, he would still be with us there, as it were. He would still go before us, because the greater Joseph, Christ, yet lives. Well, finally, we considered that the Lord can do exceedingly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Because the greater Joseph yet lives, Christ yet lives, and is upon his throne, is arrayed in majesty, and he ever lives to mediate and intercede for us. He will provide all our needs through his superabundant grace to us. And surely this is a comfort where we believe, or even us gathered here today, that Christ yet lives, and through his superabundant grace, he provides all our needs. But in this evening's study, we'll be looking at Genesis 46, 28 through 47, 12, and we're given four scenes, four scenes in this narrative. Firstly, we see Jacob's reunion with his beloved son, Joseph. Genesis 46, verses 28 through to the end. So that's Jacob's reunion with his beloved son, Joseph. 46, 28 through to the end. Secondly, we see Joseph's brothers being presented to Pharaoh. Genesis 47, 1 through 6. Thirdly, we see Jacob presented to Pharaoh, the, the, super, the head of the superpower of the world at the time. Verses 7 through 10 of Genesis 47. And fourthly, we see that the whole covenanted family of Jacob being settled and all their families in Goshen, in Egypt. Verses 11 and 12 of Genesis 47. 
And so we'll be taking a brief look at these scenes, at these various scenes. But with that in mind, surely Genesis 47 verse 9 is the standout verse in this narrative of Holy Scripture, where Jacob gives to Pharaoh that wonderful spiritual inventory. A spiritual inventory, is an inventory is given here. This is the patriarch really at his best. Faith is fully revived. And he talks about, as, a, as a, you think of a business as an inventory, or well, here we have a spiritual inventory of the past, of the present, and of the future. All his hopes. And Jacob here, of course, is at his, his best. He's ending the race well, fully revived, as it were, not ashamed upon the first meeting with the world's leader of the greatest superpower at the time, to declare where he stands, spiritually speaking, with this spiritual inventory. But before we get to that, we see Jacob's journey back to Egypt, where in Genesis 46, 28, we see that Judah is sent before the travelling caravan of Israelites to, to Goshen. You notice that? The, the Jacob here, Jacob here sends Judah. Judah is sent before the, the, all the families of Israelites this big caravan, as it were, headed to Goshen. Judah was originally the one responsible for Joseph's separation from his father. He was the one that was responsible. But now he is the one that Jacob sends to lead the reunion. <laughs> what an amazing turnaround here. Judah was a changed man. He was a changed man. What a remarkable change of heart that only the Lord can do. And friends, this reminds me really of the need of our church and many churches in our day not to become too clicky. And what I mean by that is sometimes in churches, families and, and within a, a fellowship, we can build up this very strong bond, but sometimes we can become so, so clicky that when someone who's just been saved out of the world, a Judah, as a, as a woman. And they're from a notorious background, but the Lord does a great work in their hearts, and you can, you can see that they love the Lord, and they're, they're, they're brought into a church, and they can sometimes get a cold shoulder, and they can sometimes be, be, be very, a bit like, 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 like Saul, the Apostle Paul. And yes, you've got to be careful, but... At the same time, we, we, we also need to be those who uh, are wise like Jacob. When Jacob, you see, he puts Judah, the one who, who, who really uh, was responsible for Joseph's uh, initial separating. And now he, he puts him ahead of the caravan, as it were. He, uh, he has full faith and confidence now, this is the person who separated himself and committed great wickedness. Think of Tamar, all the, the vileness. But you see, Jacob, Jacob knows that a great change of heart has happened in Judah's heart and his life here. Yeah. And he has full confidence 
that he is a great man of faith now. God has broken through all that and changed his heart. And so he puts him at the head now. He doesn't look at the past failures and what he's done. No, 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 no. You're going to lead the caravan now. He's, he's got the substitutionary love. He's, he's full of faith now, Judah. He's willing to give his life for the cause of the Lord. So Jacob puts him ahead, as, as it were. Of course, this was the, the, the tribe that the, the Saviour would come from as well. But in verse 29, we're told that Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Well, we see here the great love and respect that Joseph had for his precious father and this mutual love they had for one another, how he had this great respect for his father, how he came to him. Joseph presented himself to Jacob. And whenever that word presented here occurs in the book of Genesis, it's very unique in the book of Genesis. Because when it talks about that word in the Hebrew, that word presented, only in the book of Genesis, it talks, in the Hebrew, it's talking about, talks about a, 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 a theophany. A theophany. When, when God manifests himself to, to a man, that's a theophany. And so we get a sense here, Joseph was a mere man, don't get me wrong, but you see, to, to for, for, for Jacob, for Jacob, the young suffering shepherd boy, the young suffering shepherd boy who underwent all the, that wicked wickedness, and now he comes, presents himself on this chariot. He's exalted. He's on the throne. He's 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 majestic. He's awesome. He's high and lifted up. He's been in prison. He's been under all these things, but now he's robed and arrayed in majesty. And now he presents himself to his father. Remember what he told his brethren. Tell my, tell my brethren what's happened about my glory. He wanted his father to tell him. And so Jacob sees his suffering son presented to him in this majesty. And you know what? He's just so full of awe. He's, he's almost like a theophany. He's so full of awe of what God has done. Almost, he's resurrected him, as it were, from the dead. He's been separated all these years, and suddenly he sees his suffering son. He sees him in arrayed in glory and majesty, as it were. And he's just so full of awe at God's goodness. God has done this. He presented himself unto him. You can imagine Jacob seeing his son. <laughs> the, the, on his throne with his chariot as it were and just so in awe of God's goodness and God's love he presented himself unto him and he fell on his neck he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while oh, what, a, what a wonderful beautiful picture here is presented yeah, words cannot describe here this, this wonderful scene. Though Joseph was the prime minister of the, the superpower of the world, Egypt, 
He reverences his father. He prides that which his father taught him. More than all the dignitaries, all the pomp and stuff, he fell on his neck, wept like a, like a, like a boy again. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? It's just such simple words, but such a beauty here of them. He wept. It would cast off all, the, all those things and just wept. Like, like, like the prodigal son, as it were, the father came and embraced his son and just wept. So beautiful, isn't it? Such a wonderful picture of the gospel. And no doubt this must have filled Israel's heart with just an amazement of God's greatness and God's goodness and God's sovereignty for, for, for them and their families. Well, Joseph loved his father. All the royal procedures went out the window as Joseph embraced him. Tears of mutual love and, and joy of what the Lord has done in their lives just poured out. It all seems so natural. Beloved, through much tribulation, we're told we, we must enter into the kingdom of God. There are many trials and difficulties in this life, dear friends, we know that. Yet the greater Joseph will take us out of them all. He will mediate and intercede for us, dear friends, and provide everything that we need. And we will one day be with the Lord where there will be joy, unspeakable it's a little bit of a foretaste here, isn't there? But we will experience, we, there, there are times where we, we do experience this. But we know where we're ushered into glory. When that, those chariots come winged upon the clouds, as it were, wow, what a day that's going to be. I can't wait for that day. And I'm sure all of us, here, most of us can say, I can't wait for that day to ever be with the Lord. Uh, to the one who's lifted up Awesome, full of, full of arrayed and majesty, the one who suffered, the one who went to prison, the one who did all these things for us. That joy, that love, that will just be poured upon us and we will experience that for eternity. But what a day. What a day for pilgrims, sojourners, strangers like us to look forward to. Well... We see this was not only a reunion between father and son and all that they had gone through. This was a reunion of God's superabundant grace, was it, to needy sinners uh, such as us. In verse 30, Israel says unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face. Let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Beloved, when we are brought into union with the greater Joseph, with Christ, can we not say like Jacob did? Just let me die. I have seen my face. You've revealed yourself to me. After that long embrace, Jacob just says, let me die. It reminds me of Simeon in the New Testament. Remember Simeon when, when he had the little baby Lord Jesus in his hands he said now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen thy salvation same same, same thing isn't it I've seen even though said, the Lord is a little baby I've seen my salvation I've seen him and now, now I can die because <laughs> I've seen myself and that's the same with every believer by faith we see the Lord arrayed interceding for us 
Uh, and we can say, almost like we be Apostle Paul or, or Stephen, we, we can see those clouds opening up and the Lord welcoming us, standing up. Come, thou good and faithful servant, as it were. So, so wonderful, isn't it? I know that my Redeemer yet never. By faith we seek his face and by faith we know of that loving embrace. We're on a journey home to glory. We're on that spiritual journey where we will always experience upheaval if we, if we get too settled in this life. There will always be upheaval because we're strangers in this barren land, this spiritually barren land. We're pilgrims. We're, we're sojourners. We're strangers. We, we, we can never get too settled. And if we do, God will upheave, upheave us. Then we will experience upheaval because we're, we're headed to a better land wherein dwelleth righteousness. Well, in verses 31 through to the end, we see how, through Joseph, the whole families, all the families of shepherds, the Israelites, are received into Egypt. <laughs> These people were an abomination. They were the lowest of the low. They were despised in Egypt. They were thought to be the scum of the earth. But through Joseph, only through Joseph, the whole of the Israelites are received. Amazingly. Oh, it's like allowing a whole prison, as it were. You know, a whole prison into your church. <laughs> you know? But they were all redeemed prisoners, as it were. All the lowest, the lowest. The, the Egyptians thought they, they, just, they were an abomination. They despised them. But all these families, because of Joseph, were received into Egypt. And what a picture that through Christ our one mediator, not the Pope, it is Christ. He is our one mediator. And through him we are received, as it were, into glory. They are not only received, who were once despised, but they are now welcomed. And they are now given the best. Look at Genesis 47, 6. Pharaoh gives the best of the land. The best. They're given the best. God, through his Son, gives us, who are once alienated and, and children of wrath. We're an abomination in our sin because of our wickedness. But now, but now through Christ, dear friends, God gives us his best. He gives us his Son. We, we're close to the Son now. Where we all we depend upon the Son. What a beautiful picture here of God's giving of his best, his only begotten son, for us to be our saviour, to be our mediator, to be our keeper, to be our all in all, all we depend upon, like Joseph's brethren did. Joseph here illustrates a wonderful, exalted mediator in which they all now depend upon. Notice that. They all depended upon Joseph, all of them, every one of them. He has provided everything for them, unworthy though they be. In Genesis 47, 1 through 6, we see Joseph presenting of his brethren to Pharaoh. In particular, we see five of them being presented. And notice Joseph mentions not one of their evil deeds. Not one. Not one sin of all the wickedness they committed, all the vileness. They committed to their own brother. He doesn't, he doesn't nudge Pharaoh and say, do you know what they did to me? 
He doesn't insinuate, put up an idea in their head. No, no. All is forgiven. All is forgiven. All is cast into the depths, as it were, never to be remembered anymore. He only wants the best now for his brethren. And of course we see that Pharaoh gives him, gives him the best. And friends, how important is this truth of Christian forgiveness? Christian forgiveness. As Christians, we can sometimes forget this when we're living beside an embittered culture. The culture is becoming more embittered, isn't it? More unforgiving. And sometimes when the culture goes speeds up at that time, sometimes it can kind of take us with it. We, we push against it by faith, but we live in a very embittered, unforgiving, uh, axe-grinding culture, revengeful culture. You know, it's so sad to see when Christians, for a great length of time, live in this unforgiving spirit. Not willing to let go of the past, as it were. Seeking to get revenge, having an axe to grind. And I, I know quite a few people, I've known quite a few people who have lived in the spirit for years. Not willing to forgive. Not willing to always always having this axe to grind, always seeking to, to revenge. And friends, uh, if we know anything about sin, if we know anything about the vileness of our sin and, and how much we've been forgiven, a lifetime of wickedness, of sin, of our hearts, of our minds, of the things that we haven't done, of how we treated others, of our, the many things that we've done, we know anything about that, we'll be quick to forgive. If we're walking close to the Lord, Christian forgiveness is so important. We can all fail the Lord in this, but I just want to encourage us in that. Forgive. You know, if you don't forgive someone, in a sense, the devil really owns that, you know, if you don't forgive someone. Because what happens is because you're controlled by that. You're controlled by that. I used to know a man I used to work with, and he had a bad experience in business where two people ganged up on him and uh, took the company underneath his feet. Underneath his feet. And uh, it's a horrible thing to have happened. And, uh, they went off with the company and left him in debt, effectively. And he was embittered for years and years. And he, that's all he would talk about. He just could not let go of it. And I said to him, said, you know, if you don't forgive them, they're, they're always going to control you. They're always going to control you. You see, when you forgive someone, the, the control is, is, goes away. They don't have control over you anymore. You see, when Christ forgives us, the devil doesn't have control of us anymore. He doesn't have control. You see, he has control. We forgive, we forgive our enemies. Don't have control. We're not. We're not being controlled. We're living bitterness. Being reminded of it. As it well, that's what the devil wants. And when we forgive, we, they, they don't have any control of us anymore. The Lord has control. For Christian forgiveness, friends. One Corinthians four, fourteen twenty says that in malice we ought to be as children. In malice, you see. 
Think of little Lydia Faith. You know, she, she was to get into a fight with another two, three-year-old. Five minutes later, they'll be playing a game together, loving each other, hugging each other. Adults have a falling out five years later. They're still bickering and, and seeking, you know, still don't want to see each other five years later. In malice, be as children. You need to be as children. Forgive. Such is the kingdom of heaven. That childlike faith. I've been forgiven so much. I need to forgive. Well, notice in verse 4, friends, how Joseph's brethren inform Pharaoh now to the purpose which they have, they have come. And that was to sojourn, to sojourn in the land. Do you see, do you see how they're, they're now thinking now? <laughs> they're given this wonderful land, the best land, the land on the eastern uh, uh, delta, Nile. It's, the pastures were beautiful. Just, just, it, was, it was like a little paradise on earth, Goshen. But you see, they answer, they answer Pharaoh, they say, well, we're not settling here, we're not, we're not, we're, we're sojourning. We're sojourning. You see how they're thinking now? They're thinking with a pilgrim mindset. Yes, this is wonderful. We're with Joseph, we're, and we're delighted, but, but it's, we want to be, we want to be in the heavenly Canaan. That's where their, their hearts are. We're, we're just passing through. They're like Jacob, they're like Israel, okay? We're just passing through, we're sojourning now. They've changed. They're, they're now trusting in the promises of God. They want to be back in Canaan. Because they know that God, God is going to make a mighty nation. So they've got this pilgrim mindset. They're thinking like a pilgrim, like a stranger, like a sojourner. They're thinking upon the promises of God concerning Abraham and the promised land. And oh yes, the, this great and fertile land of Goshen and Egypt, dear friends, it's lovely, but it's, it's a pagan, worldly land compared to the heavenly Canaan. And that's like us. We can be in luscious heaven. We can have all the freedoms, yeah, we can have lovely food and all these things, but it's this land of Great Britain is but a pagan, barren land still, isn't it? We're strangers and pilgrims here. There's a spiritual indifference, isn't there? How are we living, friends? Are, are we living as sojourners, strangers, pilgrims? Does that change of heart come where? Have a kind of loose hand upon the things of this world now. We're, we're now living for a glorious world, a, a world without saved where sin won't spoil anymore. Is, is that what we're living for? Pilgrims, strangers, sojourners. Well, in the remaining verses, in verses 7 through 12, we see Jacob being presented to Pharaoh and the covenant family being settled in Egypt for a time. Verse 7 says that Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Those friends who honour the son, of course, will be blessed. Jacob begins a benediction, doesn't he? He doesn't hide his faith from the head of the superpower of the world. <laughs> He's not a bash, as it were. He straight away comes out full of faith, fully revived at 130 years old, with this love and zeal for the Lord, he begins 
as it were, flying the flag high for his saviour. He blesses him. And Pharaoh then, behold, and Jacob asks him a question in verse 8. He says, how old art thou? <laughs> He's got this 130-year-old man here. No, no doubt the years have taken their toll on Jacob more than Isaac and Abraham, because you know, he went through much, didn't he, Jacob? And so Pharaoh asks him, how old art thou? Jacob is ancient. He was 130 years old. And that was an unusual, an unusually old age for the Egyptians. Unusually old age. This combined with a countenance that was full of a youthful spirit, lively eyes, full of faith, as it were, sojourning, as it were, still a pilgrim. Yes, he looks old, but the spirit within him was a youthful spirit. An eternal spirit, full of faith, full of fresh vigour in his eyes. Uh, I believe that's true of, 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 of Christians, even healthy Christians. You could be 60, 70, 80, 90 years but you've got that freshness of spirit. Because you're just passing through to the next world. And, and no doubt Pharaoh, when, when Jacob, when Israel was presented him, saw this. There was this liveliness, this this spiritual vigour within him, this freshness, this old man still showing this, this, this hope and faith and delight in the Lord. It must have been inspiring. Must have, and he must have looked upon him, Pharaoh must have looked upon him in wonder and in that court. Jacob's answer is, a, is an incredible one. To Pharaoh, verse 9, it's, it's significant. He says, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. This was one of those wonderful occasions which the, the writer to the, the, the author of the epistles to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11.13 when he says, These all died in faith. Think of Abraham, think of Isaac, think of Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. They didn't receive tangibly the promises. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that there were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's exactly what he's doing to the world's greatest, the head of the world's greatest superpower. He's confessing, I'm a pilgrim. He's giving him a spiritual inventory of his past life, his present life, and his future life. I'm in God's hands. I've always been in God's hands. And he's going to see, he's, he's seen me through as it were. What a witness. The aged patriarch's words here were of a great witness and instruction to Pharaoh. He gives here this wonderful spiritual inventory of his life. And an inventory, to remind us, is of course what businesses do, don't they? They take stock of where they are, of what, where they've been in the past, where they are at present, and, and where they aim to be in the future. That's what an inventory is. And this is what Jacob's doing. He's doing a spiritual inventory. 
And so Jacob gives us wonderful spiritual inventory of the Lord's goodness to him. This inventory speaks of how he did in the past, how he stands in the present, and how he will stand in the future, in essence. And I wonder, dear friends, if, if we have taken the time to meditate and, done, and, and personally done the spiritual inventory of our lives. Where am I in my life? Have I taken stock? Where have I been? Where am I now? What are my hopes for the future, as it were? Jacob said, Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. Few. Few. But he's ancient. He's 130 years old. Is there a contradiction here? No, friends. Yes, few. Because he's living in the light of eternity. His life is... His life has been but a vapour. He's living in the light of eternity. They're few, comparatively speaking. Few. I'm going to eternity. Such a wonderful witness. Pharaoh must have been in wonder. And evil, yes. Jacob knew the spiritual warfare. He knew what it was to fight the good fight of faith. And to finish his race and... Uh, on a high note, didn't he? He knew, like Job, that man is born unto trouble as a sparks fly upward. He knew something of his sin and depravity, and of course he knew very much of that of others, of how other people have treated Laban, his children. He knew of the spiritual warfare. Yes, he knew of evil. His life was full of labour and full of sorrow. There was always an upheaval, never being allowed to really settle. And let us hold earthly things more loosely, friends, and prize heavenly things more highly. But now, you see, he confesses. He confesses to be a pilgrim. He seeks a land wherein dwelleth righteousness. No upheaval there anymore in glory. No more tears, no more heartache, no more pain, no more sin to spoil anymore, friends. As a godly man of faith, Jacob speaks of his pilgrimage. He's a pilgrim, a stranger in this world of Egypt, as it were. He's fought the good fight of faith, he's finished his course, as it were. He finished it well, didn't he? What a blessing. <laughs> blessing, that's what we all want, isn't it? To finish well. Uh, what an encouragement, yeah, to finish well, how God can so spur us up, even in our dying Years he can make us so useful. What an encouragement. That in, in, in our latter years, God can just so fulfill us with the spirit and revive our faith that we can be so used to his glory. Like Jacob did. He's travelling to another world. This world is but an end on his way home to eternity. It's just a stopping off, as it were. It is but a voyage which will end upon the, the crystal still waters of eternity and bliss. He's headed home, isn't he? And let us say, therefore, with the psalmist of old, who had the same sure hope and faith, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Well, Jacob finishes here his spiritual inventory with great humility. He says in verse 9, that his days and years have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers. 
and the days of their pilgrimage. What humility he shows here. He's not boasting to Pharaoh, oh yes, I'm of great old age, look at me. He's not boastful of his ripe old age, rather he says that his godly father saw more by faith than, than he did. More pleasant days and the greater faith they displayed in their pilgrimage to God's glory. Full of humility here. Well, the hoary head is a crown of glory only when it is found in the way of righteousness, like Jacob. Jacob finishes his speech with a, a benediction, a blessing, opens with a blessing, ends with a blessing upon Pharaoh. Verse 10. And, and then, like a, a shooting star, as it were, goes across the night sky, so he just departs <laughs> out of the city. <laughs> Blazing shooting star with this wonderful witness. Shoots across the sky and then he's just out straight away. <laughs> and finally, in verses 11 and 12, Jacob and all his family settle in the land of Goshen for a time. And they are all nourished and fed and kept by the great provision of Joseph. It was God, of course, who raised Joseph up for this exact purpose. God did it. As he did with others in the Bible, we think of Esther. God was behind all this. God is in control. God is sovereign. God made all this happen. Why does God do this? That we may utterly depend upon the great provision and salvation of the greater Joseph Christ. That's why he does it. We must depend upon the greater Joseph Christ. Do you cry unto him every day? Are you reconciled to him? You're walking with him by faith, holding to his promises, doing the spiritual inventory, friends. That's why God saves us, that we may utterly, for all our provision, depend upon our mediator, the one who provides our daily bread, the one that feeds us and strengthens us. That's why he does it. Do we utterly depend upon him? Are we reconciled to him? Do we know of the sacred joy and peace through Christ? Well, let us, dear brethren, dear beloved of the Lord, go forward. Go forward by faith. Take ground, as it were. But let us make sure that the greater Joseph always is set before us in all that we do. We utterly depend upon him. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.